Hey mom friend, did you have a hospital birth and are curious about switching to a home birth or maybe even a birth center, but want to know if that even makes sense? I mean, you probably don't even have a real reason to do it, but it just seems like something that you're interested in doing. Well, in this episode, we are going to hear from a mama who did just that, and her name is Gianna Vasconcelos. She is our first guest on this podcast and has given me the honor of sitting down with me and sharing her birth story. She had always been attached to the idea of having a home birth, but decided to have a hospital birth for her firstborn. Although her experience was all around satisfactory, when she got pregnant with her second and in the peak of a pandemic and with an instant connection with a midwife, her and her husband decided to have a home birth. Gianna has her master's in public health with an emphasis in maternal child health. She uses her background for research and within the last couple of years has leveraged her research into childbirth education, doula, and now a student midwife. Her goal is to serve communities by equipping them with easily accessible quality information to help them thrive in their maternal care journey. I'm so excited to bring this to you today and like I said, so incredibly honored. So let's hurry up and get inside. Hey mama, welcome to Simplify Birth and Motherhood. I am Amanda. I am a wife and mom of four. I have had a hospital birth, unexpected C-section, a few home births, and now I am a birth advocate, childbirth educator, and your cheerleader in the toughest hood of them all, motherhood. Do you wish you knew what options were available to you when becoming a new mom or adding more to the mix? Are you ready to nurture and build up your mom gut so you can be more confident, educated, and bold? In this podcast, you will begin to understand, find support, and turn knowledge into power through education and resources for pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and for the early years of motherhood. If you are ready to get clarity to empower your birth and motherhood journey, then throw up your unbrushed hair, hike up your high-waisted pants, because sister, (laughs) I know you are wearing them. Put the baby in the ergo, and let's start feeding our God-given mom guts. See you inside. All right, everybody, welcome and just come on, grab something to drink, something yummy to snack on, because we have an awesome, awesome episode for you guys today. I have one of my really good friends. Her and I have just connected over Instagram. And the funny thing is, is that she's from the same place that I'm from, because I'm not where I'm located now is not where I'm from. But we personally have never crossed paths, which is so bizarre to me. So why don't you go ahead and Gianna introduce yourself and tell us more about you. So yeah, let's get into it. Okay. So I also think that's bizarre how we never ran into each other and like cross paths being from the same like small area. Well, it's not small, but like it's small in relation to where we're from. So, um, yeah, so I just moved to a town, like maybe 25 minutes North of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so getting acclimated to that, um, (laughs) way of life culture shock a little bit. Um, but I, my background is I have my master's in public health. I knew I wanted to help families. I just didn't know in what capacity. So I, um, really emphasized in maternal child health with my, with my capstone. And from there, I really got involved in research and, you know, peer reviews and kind of connecting research evidence, evidence-based research, um, to like curriculum and, and teaching that to population of people. So it could be like students, um, it could be patients, it could be clients, but I wasn't really on the teaching end quite yet until I was noticing a pattern of how poor our maternal child health outcomes were in the United States. So that's when I really was like, what's going on here? Like we're such a developed country, but this is like these numbers are horrible and something just wasn't adding up. And you're like, you're like, wait a minute. Like, how come, how is it that we're still not hitting the nail on the head? Like what is going on here? Lots of disconnects, lots of gaps. So then I thought, you know what, there, this is information people need to have in their hands. Like, why is this research evidence-based information, privileged information? Why is this information only like, physicians or MDs or DOs or like, you know, 
um, credentialed people only have access to and can really determine. So my, my whole goal with teaching childbirth education was to bring that into terms where families could use that information and leverage it into their decision-making in the childbirth setting, maternal care setting, postpartum, even, even into parenting. Um, so that's really where I was coming from. Then I, of course, was bit by the birth bug after I had my second baby. I had my second baby at home during 2020. And uh, I was talking to my midwife, like, man, like, this is awesome. Like, everyone deserves to have this experience. And she <laughs> should become a midwife. And I was like, what? Girl, don't even plant that seed in my head because I'm going to run with it. <laughs> planted it and it never went away. So. I became a doula after that, went to, went to, um, quite a few births last year. And then I just re recently met a midwife, uh, about 20 minutes away from me that I'm going to start working with. So I guess now student midwife. So that's kind of my education background, like journey. I think it's like great to hear stories like that, because it's not, you had mentioned, you know, the education, like getting it into people's hands. I say this all the time on the podcast, like education is not just for the elite. And it's one of those things where it's like, people don't understand how readily available that information is out there, but it's not being provided, but other things that have little to no information or don't set them up for success is more provided for these certain, even certain demographics, it's really, really sad. And you're just like, man, these people are, are at truly at a, a disadvantage. And where we see a lot of these high numbers of maternal and needle needle outcomes that are not great, but you see people like you who are coming out of these like very humble beginnings who don't necessarily have like their doctorates and so-and-so and what's so and what's not, you know, and it's encouraging because it's like, education is readily available for anybody. It just takes a lot of like searching and asking really tough questions, which can be very confrontational. And a lot of people don't like confrontation, but it's like, sometimes we have to like go beyond the bounds that have been set to get the answers and the information that we need. So I love hearing that because I'm like, yes, like this is why we provide education for people because it's like, we're showing you this is for you. Like you can have this too. It's not just like, it's not just for me. It's not just for them. It's for everybody. And so just letting people see that and know that I think that that's really great. And you had mentioned moving to a new community and stuff. That is so hard. I've been there. That's really hard. And just even knowing your local area and what they need. And it is just crazy. Cause it's like, you talk to people and you realize like, oh, wow, they don't really have this. They don't really have that. And they don't really have this, but just getting almost like engrafted into it is also the challenge too, because it's like, everybody's used to doing the same thing over and over. Not just even because they, they know it or they're questioning it. They're kind of just like, oh, well, my mom did this or generational speaking, this is, this is why we do it, you know? So I totally understand that. And I get that. And you had mentioned that you've had a home birth with your second. Did you have a home birth with your first? We'd love to hear about that as a first time mom, what made you choose that option? Cause that is not statistically research wise. That is not an option that a lot of first time moms choose right. because of the little to no education that it goes along with it. Yes. So no, my first was my first. So he's seven. Um, he was born in 2015. He'll be, oh my goodness, he'll be eight in July. Um, so when I was having him, we were actually living in Maryland at the time, just a little bit outside of Washington, DC. And I don't know how, but I stumbled upon the documentary, the business of being born, um, like about 10 weeks out from <clears throat> when he was born. And I thought, oh my goodness, what a midwife, what I can have this baby in my house. Like it, for some reason, it was just never, like, it never occurred to me because obviously like, you know, when you're told something your entire life and you're finally told something different, it kind of disturbs your, everything you thought you knew 
<laughs> so when I brought it up, you know, we were primarily around my husband's family at the time. None of my family lived lives in Maryland. And I brought it up to my husband and, and I was like, what if we had the baby at home? And I said it in like a slightly joking, but slightly like, see if he was on board type of way <laughs> was not on board. Um, and I honestly wasn't that on board either because lack of education, it is absolutely like a completely valid option. Um, and it's not talked about at all. So I had, I ended up having him. In fact, fun fact, I actually begged to be induced because my mom was visiting from California and, um, she would only had three weeks. She came and two weeks later, this baby wasn't here. And so he was delivered 42 weeks, like to the day, like 42 weeks. And even my OB at the time, he was like, I'm not going to induce you for no reason. Right. So then I'm like, I want this baby out. My mom has to be here. Like, <laughs> right. But looking back, I'm like, nobody told me the risk factors that go along with being induced. Nobody told me like how long labor could possibly be. Nobody told me the effect that it could have. on. Nobody told me anything. I just walked into an induction saying, just do whatever you need to do. And then I'm going to go home with my baby. It was a very blind decision that I made. And, um, definitely a learning opportunity, but it went like, I had a really good experience considering the fact that I was induced. Um, granted I had an episiotomy and my consent was not gathered at all. Um, looking back Uh on it (laughs) and, um, I, when I was induced, I was given cervidil and my cervix usually sits posterior when I'm pregnant, which now that I know, um, it was posterior and, this man, OB, uh, that was on call. I had never met before walks into the room. And my husband even was like, this was the worst experience watching, watching that. Um, he couldn't get the cervidal like next, like right up against my cervix. So they had to lean my bed back to where I was oh. not, I don't want to say upside down. Cause that's like dramatic, but I was at an incline where my bottom was like a little bit higher than my, my hips. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying yeah, to- no. yeah. I'm picturing it in my head and yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. So he could get this, the cervidal by my cervix. And I'm telling you, I was crying when he was inserting this crying. And my husband looks back on that as like the worst thing that he's ever seen. And he's a nurse. My husband's an RN. Oh my goodness. Wow. Oh, okay. He's like, that was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) But considering an induction, I had him within 18 hours pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, he was nine pounds, six ounces. I definitely was threatened with a cesarean, um, during the pushing time. He was like, he's losing oxygen. So they had to give me oxygen. And they were like, listen, if he's not out in the next like 30 minutes, we're going to, um, do a a C-section. And I was like, no, the heck you're not. Yeah. I like used everything in my body to push him out. And he came out like eight minutes later. Um, so he came out all good. I went home the next day. Why? Because I was low risk. I did not need to be in the hospital. Right. Right. Uh, So yeah, that was his birth story. I recovered like super quick. Like his, my husband's family was like, didn't you just have a baby? And I'm just walking around like nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, it was like, that was a pretty good experience considering, but you know, when you look back and you were looking at these like tiny little, um, details and you're like, you know what, that shouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's just me picking it apart. No, I think that's great because I think that's one thing that I tell when I educate people too is, hey, I know you really like your OB and they probably are great, you know, but at the same time, like, just be aware that this fact of loan, your OB probably might not be there. You know, Mm -hmm. if they're not asking you to be induced at a specific time, don't guarantee that they're going to be there, honestly. And so it's like, just be prepared knowing (laughs) that a stranger somebody you've never met, you don't really know like what their um, track record is. You don't really know what their um, views and birth perspectives are on 
when it comes to pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum. Like you don't really know. You might know your own OBs and you would hope that they would be there, but the chances of them being there are going to be kind of slim. And so it's like just even that little detail is like something you don't even think about when you're a first time mom or just when you're going into these situations. But that fact alone can change, make or break your birth experience, you know, or what you would have happen in these situations, you know, because it's, yeah. The practice I was at had four, um, and they also had NPs. So they didn't deliver though. The only the OBs did. And I got really, I I built a really good rapport with this one, one of the OBs. And I asked her many times, like, are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? And she's, you know, no, you know, I don't know. Like it depends on when you deliver. So I had, you know, a one in four chance of getting her. And of course I did not. I got with the one OB that I never met with on my, I like met with him one time and it was the one OB I met one time. And now that you mentioned that fact, when you look back, some of that anxiety, some of my anxiety really was rooted in like, how do I know who's going to be there? And you build rapport with somebody, you feel almost kind of crazy for building rapport with your OB and you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't you should absolutely feel attached to the person that's going to be attending your birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You I mean, it's your most vulnerable moment, you know, like it's that transition from being one, not necessarily you lose yourself, but it's like you're transitioning into a role that you were created to do. And that transition working through that to accomplish that goal is a very vulnerable, like sacred, like very like if you're there like I'm sorry you're honored to be there like it's not a privilege for you to be there you know so it's like like you said you know you have to have that connection like it's part of the process you know Mm -hmm. we had um that's you just actually made me think about we had this conversation the other day because my husband loves our midwife like the one that was attended my um our last baby and um you know, we always talk about if we have another one, he's like, we're either flying back to California <laughs> be there, or we, we have to pay our extra to fly. <laughs> like, and, and that's coming from my husband. Like, he's just, you know, he's, you know, he's his own person, but he has like, he also had that rapport with her, right? Like he trusted these two women with my care and his son's care. So it's like a family collaborative. No, I get that because, you know, I've had two home births. I attempted my first, ended up getting transferred, you know, everything that went along with that. But I get that they're like, they're not just practitioners. They're not just people who are taking care of you in a certain season of your life. It's like, they truly do become part of your family. And so saying goodbye, I always I was telling somebody this recently. I was like, when you leave, when you're at like your last postpartum, you know, appointment with your midwife, it's kind of a sad moment because you're like, this place is, you know, my midwife going to her house was like this real calming, like going there just meant safety to me. And so just not being there on a regular basis was sad because it was like, oh man, but knowing that like, oh, she, I'm going to see her like, you know, like we're going to talk. She knows my kids, you know? And so it's like, that's never going to stop because it's like, you become a part of our family and a part of our lives in such a big way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, okay. So your second was born at home. So you had mentioned, because I love hearing about just the care alone. There, there's nothing that beats home birth care, like not just prenatally and like during the birth process, but afterwards is like a dream. (laughs) Like I hear people so many times and they're like, I will never, never go back if it's not necessary because of the care alone. It's just amazing. So tell us a little bit about your second in now that you are from the hospital, had your baby, great experience, like from what you could get from that. But then now moving over to a home birth, what with that, what made you want to switch it considering you did have 
somewhat of a good experience at the hospital and things like that? So um, I had, so we were living in Maryland. We only lived there for two years. After he was born, my first son, we moved back to California when he was about six months old. And then we were there until just a few months ago. But um, I got pregnant with Micah at the end of 2019. And then four months later, the entire world shut down in 2020. So I was pregnant all 2020 and Micah was born October, 2020. Um, I had, I had already had established care at the clinic I was going to, and I knew the hospital that I was going to deliver at. The reason why I had specifically chosen that is because my husband, like I said, he's an RN. He was working for that hospital at the time. My best friend was also working for the hospital at the time. His brother was also working for the hospital at the same time. So we are like, we are deeply embedded in that community of providers, um, clinicians. So it was a no brainer to me. Um, my sister-in-law was like, you need to go see the specific doctor. Well, I made her my primary and I saw her one time and it's a practice of 25 plus doctors. So there was that. <laughs> this, and I really like her. She, I just knew she wasn't going to be at my delivery. She was in yeah. charge, also in charge of like the residency program. Like it was just a lot. I knew she wasn't going to be there. Um, then, um, you know, everything happened with COVID and there was so much unknown with especially delivering in a hospital. The only time you're in a hospital and you're not sick is when you're having a baby. And so my best friend at the time, she was like, Gianna, I really think you should think about not having the baby here. And you should think about like having the baby wherever else you can, <laughs> basically, because the numbers were just spiking and it was crazy. Then it was like the, the policies with visitors or even support people were just kind of wishy-washy. I had only had about three um, prenatal appointments and I was 20 weeks along. So I went to my anatomy scan and I think this is really the straw. I had already searched like on Instagram. I was searching home birth hashtags. I was searching midwife Redlands hashtags. Like I was just the seed, like the seed was planted, you know, years ago when I was pregnant the first time, but it was re, you know, watered, I guess, for the, the analogy. It was re. <laughs> Uh, it's like, okay. So I started looking, I follow, I followed, I uh, started following, um, Heather on Instagram. Oh yeah. I love her. She's so love great. So she was like my gateway. Right. So then when, um, my girlfriend said that to me, I looked at my husband and he was like, I know he's like, let's just try and have this baby at home. I'm like, all right, let's do it. I took it and I ran and we, Heather happened to, we met with her, but her, um, she had a delivery that month that I was due or she was full that month that I was due. And then she was like, you need to meet with, um, she gave me like a couple others. So I ended up meeting with Kayleen the next. She's week. great too. She was at all my births too. <laughs> she was? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. We were on Zoom with her. Um, Josh leans over like out of the camera. Josh is my husband. He leans over, like we're talking to her, like just immediately. I felt inside that this was it, but my husband, he's, uh, you know, he's a dude and he's yeah. a healthcare provider. So he leans out of the camera and he goes like this, let's get her. Oh, whoa. Hey, he's like, I like her. Let's get her. And I'm like, okay. And then, so like somewhere in there, I was like, all right, let's do it. I was 20, 20 something late twenties weeks. Um, along when we switched care to her and it was the literal best decision that we ever made. Um, we started having our prenatal appointments. She would come to our house. My son was involved. Of course, you know, five-year-old boy, he's like holding up the pelvis and looking at the, you know, baby, <laughs> like, you know, he's learning to, he's involved in the care. He's listening to the baby's heartbeat, like super involved. I felt like empowered. She handed me like a, a, this bag and it had, um, you know, like the dipsticks and like all the things that I could do myself to manage my own care. Mm -hmm. And it felt like I felt so excited. Like every time I was 
opening that bag, I felt like it was Christmas. I would look at the stuff and (laughs) I would just look at it for no reason. Yeah. No, you become the problem solver and that in, in itself is super empowering because it's like, you are the one who's taking an active, an active participation versus somebody who's just being like, looked at as like a model in a sense of like, let's see what type of numbers are going to come from this birth. And so it's like, you are looked at as like somebody, like a person, you know? So that's empowering, you know? Absolutely. That, that, I think that was like the single most exciting thing. We went on this trip and we came back, um, we had our, our home visit. We met like the, uh, the the secondary midwife that was coming with her to the birth, got the birth kit, the pool, everything. Um, he, my babies like to be born instead of like, you know, 40 weeks or whatever. They love to overstay their welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did. He was like approaching probably about 42 weeks, one day shy of 42 weeks before he came. Um, I did midwife's brew and, um, I was a little bit dilated. I did ask to know like what that looked like for me. Cause I just needed to know that was my brain. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, we, I went into labor, like what the morning she came over for prenatal and she left and three hours later, I was in full labor. Um, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon and it was pretty much back to back, um, waves of contractions. We filled up the, the tub. I got in, got out, got in (laughs) (laughs) around, like I was doing everything I could staying hydrated. My best friend showed up. My son was there. My mom was there. And then my husband and the two midwives, but things were going like super, super well. Um, by the time I felt like I was ready to push, his head was born in the water. Then with the next contraction, he did not rotate and his shoulders were not born. Okay. The next contraction came still nothing. And so they were like, okay, Gianna, like let's, let's get out of the water and see what's going on. So long story short, he ended up having shoulder dystocia and so it was resolved. When I say I've seen shoulder dystocia resolved, um, two times in a hospital, this was the first time I'd ever seen it or ever been involved personally myself, but at Mm -hmm. home, when I tell you the, I had no hemorrhage, I had no adverse reaction. The baby had no adverse reaction. He did, he needed to be bagged. And we did transfer a little bit after to get him checked at NICU. Um, but I, I'm just like that. I had no fear. There was no fear in that room. There was just so much peace. My husband was worried because he was on the other side of the pool. And then, but he was very like, what's going on? He's like looking over, like what's happening. Right. And I'm like, it's okay. He's fine. And I'm talking to the baby. His pulse never dropped. We let him stay connected to the placenta until it turned white. It was like everything that needed to be done in that type of complication was done. And that's, those are the reasons I believe that are directly um, related to the fact that the, that he's okay. Mm -hmm. It's the way it's handled because when people, when you look at birth, there is risk associated with everything you do in life. Okay. Mm -hmm. When we want to fix those risks, we want to prevent, 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 prevent. You can't always prevent everything. And sometimes it's to a fault because then you end up inducing a complication when you're trying to so prevent over, over treat, like over prevention sometimes ends up causing more of an issue than, you know, just under under prevention per se for like term's sake happen and then Mm -hmm. addressing it um there's a risk when you get in the car when you get on the freeway right there's risk so when we try to justify well oh birth is risky like why would you do that like yeah but it's how those risks are handled is where Mm -hmm. it really makes an impact it's like the, cause I tell my people too, like when it comes to natural birth, it's like, we obviously cannot control 
you know, the rate in which contractions are coming, they will come when they come and they will come for the duration of when they come. But how we respond to it is what we can be in control of. So that means through proper breathing, through calm, you know, uh, perspective, calm behavior, um, knowing that we can problem solve in these situations and we can help ourselves, you know, and I think what, when you were explaining about this calm and this peace, that definitely does attribute to the fact of people who are in these environments who are a part of it, what is their demeanor? Because if everybody's like rushing, like trying, oh no, you know, it's like, that's going to cause like this over like theatrical like event where we have these people who are specifically trained to do these things and to solve these problems so that they don't get bad. And so it's like, there's a calm peace knowing like, we can do this. Like, let's just do this. Let's try this. Like, let's, there are things we can do to help this situation. Yep. Urgency. There's a difference and a fine line between urgency and paranoia and like mass chaos. Mm-hmm. And there was urgency, but there was also like this palpable confidence and peace. I don't know how else to explain it. I've seen mass chaos in complications and stuff in the hospital. And it's like, nobody's at peace. Everyone's not only urgent, but like, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. And I feel like when there are things happening like that, like there should be some sort of like demeanor of I've got this, it's going to be okay, but I'm working quickly and I'm and it's urgent, but it's still okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. That's so true. You mentioned, you know, with everything you do, there's a risk. And it's like, (laughs) I was recently talking about this on, on the podcast. And it was just, was talking about how there's not any really greater risk going from like having a home birth than than there is in other situations. Because quite honestly, like, to think that there is this unbeknownst risk that nobody can name, nobody can say it, but there it's a greater risk in these situations. It's like, that doesn't exist. Like there's a risk no matter what. Like it's not like study shows, statistics show that there's not a greater risk versus the other. Like, and there's not one thing that they can name in these other situations to name that, oh, this is what the risk is, but they don't even know what it is. And it's like, you're instilling like, like fear that's not even there there's nothing really there's no substantiating evidence to show that this is even real you know that's the that's the thing like the word risk right it's such a general word and I always like I guess follow up the question well that's so risky okay what's your definition of risk what do you believe is risky about it Mm -hmm. well um you know if this happens, you know, and they provide an example. Okay. Well that they're equipped to handle that. What's next? Like everyone has their own definition of risk. And that's what I encourage people to do is their own risk assessment. If for example, the, the, um, gestational diabetes glucola test, right. I've had clients go, do I have to take that? Like, I really don't want to take that. No, you don't have to. You can, if you want to be informed or you don't have to, well, what's the risk if I don't, it just changes the way that you go about your decision-making, right? Yeah. I feel like having that information is going to help you make better decisions by all means, take it. Mm -hmm. Feel like it's not going to make a difference and that's not a big enough risk for you. And you're willing to take that risk because it's not that big of a risk to you. Then you've done your own risk assessment and it's up to every single family's right. We all have the right to do our own risk assessment. Uh, Even, even if somebody else, like a provider doesn't happen to agree with that risk assessment, that's your choice. That's the whole point of autonomy and bodily autonomy. I mean, that's really what like makes our society in general. It's like, everybody has their own definition of, well, this is, this is what I believe to, this is what my opinion is. And it's like, it's okay to have those differences of, of opinions. That's really what makes the world go around. Like, that's the reason why we're introduced in so many different perspectives and cultures and, you know, way of life. And it's just, that's just life in general. And that does not like, it's not completely barred when it comes to birth 
and things involved in the birth process. It's not like that completely goes out the window. You know, those things are still true in those environments as well. So from this experience, your home birth experience, and even being transferred, I know that is one thing that a lot of home birth moms and even some people kind of leave home birth, sit like home birth choices, like out of it because of the fear of transfer. But because your baby had to be transferred for NICU just for the sake of knowing that everything his everything was stable. I mean, what did that, what was that experience like for you? And especially as your husband being a um, part of that medical field as a nurse, what were some of the things that were going through your head in the process of being transferred, the result, how did that help you or not help you? How did that help you transition into postpartum? I want to definitely hear a little bit about that. I, this is the way that it's supposed to be, right? We all have our scopes of practice within our field. This is the way that it's supposed to be when everything, as everything remains a little risk, you remain under the care of your midwives, under the care of your own home, you remain under that care. Once that care becomes what's, you know, risked out, for example, like the way Micah, um, they made an, they made a decision and said, you know what, he should get checked at NICU. That's how it should be. And that's how it used to be before things became so overly medicalized with birth, um, and perinatal care. So for me, that was just normal. And it made sense because, all right, this has happened. We've regulated, we stabilized. Let's go see if he's okay with specialists, right? With the NICU doctors, um, and technology is not should not be the primary um, reliance that we have when it comes to childbirth. Granted, it should be something that we use to assist us, not something we use to lead us. And I think that's kind of where we've lost our way a little bit in maternity care um, mm-hmm. because I'm so te- technology heavy. Um, so for me, if I'm, if I'm going back or like, let's say I'm advising like a first time, um, home birth curious family. And they're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to transfer. Okay. But if you have to, at least, you know, that you have that resource, that's the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And for me, I felt I was fine. I was like, yeah, let's go see if he's good. (laughs) Why not? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like getting the fear. I remember talking to one mom, she was like, you know, I had my baby at a birth center and that's a totally different story for a different day, but you know, it's like, and the reason why I didn't do a home birth was because, you know, what if I get transferred and it's just like, so what? That's okay. If you get transferred, that's okay. It's the fear, the fear of transfer. What's the fear? We have to really identify why are you afraid of this happening? Because if you're afraid of it happening, what's the root of it? And is it justifiable? And is it the truth? Because I mean, there is nothing, nothing wrong with being transferred. Even if you are not transferred or your baby is transferred, there's nothing wrong. Because like you said, it's like, that 80, 20% type of care. It's like, and we do this all the time. And I think people don't understand this even like, I mean, when you're sick at home with a common cold, like, do you run to the hospital? Like, or when things start getting bad, when you start feeling like, Hey, I'm getting pneumonia, we probably need to go and get this checked out. Essentially you're being transferred from home care. Like essentially, I mean, we do this, we do this with our children, you know? And so it's like, But in those cases, it's not viewed as like, oh, this is a scary thing because now I got to go to the hospital or like now I got to go see my doctor or now I got to go take my child to go see somebody who's going to check his oxygen levels or like hear his lungs probably whatever, you know, it's like we do this on a regular basis with health in general. And so it's like, this is no different, but it's just, it's the fear of like, what is it? Is it fear because of like, you're afraid of what they're going to say when you come (laughs) or like the fear of like letting yourself down or like maybe there is this reason of kind of maybe our pride kind of being knocked down a little bit because we're using this as a way to self-glorify ourselves when really that's not what like 
you know what I'm saying? It's just those types of things that we fear, but it's like transfer is, if you get transferred, girl, let me tell you, it's for a reason why you get transferred, not for something silly and petty and something that can't, like you're transferred for a reason. And we should be thankful that we have that resource available to us. Yes. That's, I think, you know, that, that is definitely double-sided because this is where, this is where I believe that we need to reintegrate community birth workers, like midwives into the healthcare system or create some sort of streamlined process upon transfer because midwives are providers. They're well Mm -hmm. women providers. They're, you know, they do all the things for women's health, reproductive health, childbirth, all the things. So the reintegrating midwives into the, the healthcare system um, to create a streamlined process for families to be transferred if they do need to be transferred either um, prior to delivery or post-delivery um, will help with reducing that anxiety and that fear because you feel like you're being, you know, I get it. It feels unnerving because now you're transferring into like the medical system. And the reason why you had your home birth is because you didn't want to go there. I get it. Yeah. It's conflicting, mm-hmm. but everybody has a role and plays a role into your care. If you are transferred, like you said, it is for a very good reason. And many times it's because mom wants to transfer. Yeah. That's most of the reason why. Well, yeah, especially with first time moms, the rate of them transferring is not because it has to do with anything. It's an absolute medical emergency. A lot of times they're just exhausted and they just need to go. And it's like this, even that fact alone is like, this is where we need to put you. Like, this is where we need to go and support you in this environment now because you're tired and we're here to support you, you know? And so it's like that fact alone, the the rates are higher for first-time moms for that reason alone. That is true. And, and it shouldn't be like, I, you know, it should be more of a, I'm so thankful I have this as a resource. If I need to transfer, I'm so glad I get to have that as an option, right? Think of these things as options. Um, so that's, I mean, that's definitely one thing as far as getting us reintegrated into, you know, the system to create a better process for transfers if they do occur. Um, Postpart, I also do think that that kind of the birth community <laughs> that I some of what I've witnessed does play a role on the on the narrative that um, if you don't have everything done at home naturally as natural as possible without any medical assistance, then it's not really a real home birth. Like you didn't really, like if that's not that's not what the point yeah. of, of home birth or midwifery care really to begin with. So, and it's hard because when you have moms who I mean, I was in that boat, even sometimes thinking about when I got transferred with my son and it resulted in a cesarean, Mm -hmm. you already have a lot of like thoughts going against yourself in these situations. So piling, like kicking the horse whites down is not really a business that one, I really want to be a part of as a birth worker, but two, it's not really, like you said, that's not the intention because I think even it's almost like being like, a medical provider having the mindset of saying midwifery is negative and it's wrong and it's not safe we too are kind of bringing on to perspectives like that when we view them like that we are not like also trying to kind of bridge the gap a little bit you know and so it's just it's one of those things where it's like we can't as birth workers it's we can't do that because it's it's not it's not benefiting in like families Right. at all. And we have a responsibility, right? Like we have our boots on the ground. We are in the community. We're embedded with our community. We have a responsibility to help bridge that gap and help equip them to find people that they can trust within the medical community. Um, and I yeah. think it's, it goes back to as well too, like, it's not really my decision to make for them. It's not, I don't have that right to make that decision for them. So bringing on these negative like perspectives about the option that could potentially benefit them and be a great resource for them and their families. It's like, I'm essentially persuading them to make a decision that I would make for myself. And it's like, that is crossing a line to me as like a birth worker, because it's, that's not my decision to make for them. (laughs) It really isn't, you know, you can only just educate people of like, okay, 
you want to choose that. Here are the risks, here are the benefits, and here are the alternatives if this, if something doesn't sit well with you about this and you want to try something different. Here's what you can do, you know? <clears throat> so it's just super hard <laughs> to sometimes like find people who have that same perspective and just knowing that, you know, there are people in our particular niche where mm-hmm. it's very one-sided and it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I think you are as well, you know, I'm in the business of helping people and supporting families and setting them up for success, no matter what that looks like, you know, might not be a choice that I would make for myself, but they, they can make those choices. They have a right to be able to do that, you know? And so knowing what you know now with all, even including your education, but looking back of being a first time mom, the experience that you had with your second what is some things that you wish that you would have known then? I wish I would have known that my options and like my real true options. Um, I wish I would have known like the, what informed consent means and what that sounds like and what it doesn't sound like. Uh, yeah. I just wish I, I had somebody that, um, really offered me like the raw options of what, what choices I had. Um, I would go, my son actually asked me, my seven-year-old, he was like, mommy, um, would you, would you, uh, have me at home? Like, did you, do you wish you had me at home? Like you had a Micah and I'm like, I'm glad I had you where I had you. You turned your, it's great. Like I have no regrets at all. Granted, I do wish I had the ability to make an educated decision on what, you know, I would have wanted to do. Yeah. And that's something that I hear a lot too, when moms, when they switch over into one care into another care is just knowing, even when I, you know, a long time ago, I was talking to some moms and I was like, what's one thing that you wish that you knew? And their kids were older. And they were like, I wish I knew what my options were, even in the hospital situation. Cause I remember talking to one mom and she was like, you know, I didn't even know that they had this resource available to me. And it was like, oh, dang, (laughs) you know, like, I wish I knew that this was available to me or something that I could do versus like, you know, I wish the benefits in the long term, it was something completely different. But it was like, I hear that a lot sometimes, too, because it's like, I wish I just would have known, not necessarily that I regret what I did. But I just wish that I would have known these things a little bit more better or that this was available to me you know? That's why it's important for me. Like when I share information, I want it as neutral as possible. Um, and to be completely transparent, I don't feel like a lot of stuff is neutral because, you know, we're all niche and everybody has this like focus and stuff like that, Mm. which is, which is fine. But like, I want to make sure that I'm giving everyone like as much information as possible about all sides of the coin and, all of their options because everyone deserves to know what their options are and everyone deserves to make an educated decision. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody, everybody is different. I mean, because it's just one person might have an experience that not somebody else might have. And this is what I love about birth stories because it's like, you see these certain situations happening and this just tells you that it's like, it's not a one size fits all situation. And so I, this is why I'm I'm doing these interviews and why I love to just tell people just read or listen to birth stories Mm -hmm. because they tell you, you know, that one birth is obviously normal, but two, that everybody just has a different experience. Even if you had one in the past, that was not so great, does not guarantee you that you're going to have that terrible experience next time you know it just tells you that it can be different and it looks different for everybody and people still see satisfaction in these situations you know it's not like everybody when they make those choices that maybe in our particular niche when it comes to letting the process play out letting the body do what it needs to do you know limiting um interventions as much as we can unless it's absolutely necessary you know it's like you and I both know the statistics of that. And we understand the long-term like results of those things. If they're used in ways that are not almost like an abuse of power per se, you know? And so it's like, 
But to others, it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen to you. Just, we have to tell you that this could be the risk, but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen to you. You could still feel satisfied in these situations and walk, you know, kind of scratch free, like literally and figuratively, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and it is, it really is like the right to choose the right to decide and you can't decide you have no options if you don't know them. Right. And I think too, it's just not a lot of even first time moms, first time parents, they know not like, I'm sorry. Like I'm a huge believer that our generation is such at a disadvantage because the generation before us has not taught us how to do this. And it's, and obviously it's like, you can't necessarily blame them because their generation didn't tell them. I mean, they're coming off of a generation that's like, those things were like secret, secret. I mean, dad wasn't even allowed in the birth room. Like it was very like, uh, what's the word? Um, yeah, taboo and kind of like, uh, <clears throat> I forget the term, but it's like very posh and very like, oh, we don't talk about that, you know, type of thing. And it's like, they're coming off from a generation like that. So, I, you know, you kind of don't blame them for not being like teachers and, you know, um, examples, showing examples. But <clears throat> I think what's so great about, particularly midwifery care, you were mentioning about children being involved and my kids are, I mean, my daughter even now grabs a tape measure and comes and measures my belly just for fun, you know, (laughs) but my kids have always been a part of it. Like I remember one time we were setting up the birth pool and my son was like, Oh, the birth pool. They're like, Oh, what's this mom? I was like, this is where, you know, babies come, you know, type of kind of like a fun little, like, this is that I was saying, like, it's the magic pool, you know? And so to them, they, I mean, they're there, like, it's something that they're a part of my husband's a part of. And, you know, um, it's just this whole family, you know, soirée type of thing. And so that's what I love about this type of care, because it's, there's just nothing that beats it, you know, but it's, it's, teaching our other gen, our next generation, this is how you have babies. This is how you do it. And I think that's been completely missed. And so a lot of these families now, first time parents, even repeat parents, we've lost that with them. And it's all, they've just have never been taught. (laughs) They don't even, they don't know, they don't know. And so I was telling somebody else, like you go in these situations and of course, like you're going to feel intimidated. Of course, you're going to feel a little fearful because you just don't know. You've never seen it happen. You don't know. You don't really know what to do. So of course, like it's going to be a little like chaotic for you mentally (laughs) to grasp around the idea of what's happening. But, you know, I feel like, again, it's one of those things where you have to be very proactive and (laughs) have an active participation in, you know? Yeah. It's funny because like the way we look at it right now, like in our culture, Western culture, like this is something like everyone deserves this care, like, you know, but only a fraction of people are having it, but then you go into many other cultures and this is just normal. Like this is just a normal. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, we all do this. Like we all have our lives. Like why are you so gassed up about this? Like, it's just so funny to me because in America, we're like, oh my gosh, no, that's crazy. And that's so risky. But then many other cultures are like, uh, what are you talking about? Yeah. Going for us? And I think it, I just feel like sometimes like as a nation, we are very out of touch with um, indigenous practices and um, cultural practices as it relates to, you know, the American culture and what's quote unquote normal for, mm-hmm. for us. So I just think I that's- think- I know. And I think too, like the fact that what's not healthy is now considered to be the normal. So anything that's not within that range is abnormal, you know? And so it's like, just that mindset alone is like a little icky, you know, because even midwifery today, this is something that I shared when I talked about home births is like, you know, we, when we, sometimes when I think of home births and what a lot of people think is like, you know, Ina May and, you know, it's like those pioneers of American midwifery, not to say that what they haven't done has been awesome and great and has provided a lot of opportunities, blazed the trail. We're very thankful for people who have been, you know, who are like Ina May and who are in Ina May herself, but it's like, but there's nothing that they are teaching 
that hasn't been done or hasn't that our ancestors were not doing or that other cultures are doing. She's just bringing, she's putting a limelight on it here in America. And that's essentially what it's nothing really new. People have been doing this for years and still continue to do it for years. And I mean, has, you know, the United States is like super highly regulated and you're thankful for those things and you're thankful in areas where they are. But at the same time, it's like, you've got people all, all up in these like, rural areas who have been doing these like midwifery practices from generation upon generation and they're still getting it right and they're still doing it I mean if you even look at the history of of obstetrics itself and the maternity care system and how it came about in America you're looking at such a deep and this is probably a whole other podcast but it is so deeply rooted in a lot of dark um history mm-hmm. in America specifically the granny black granny midwives in the south and the responsibility that they had they tended to the to the communities themselves and their births were coming out like astronomical compared to the numbers that we're looking at like yeah. if you look at some of the prominent granny midwives that have you know their stories written in books or you know even in the um, history museums you'll see their birth statistics and they're just, they make the maternity care system today, like look absolutely terrible. And I think even when you read the history, it just seems like it just never, like no matter how much they try to improve on the system, it never hit on the nail to like really solve the problem. If anything, it just one, either like created a little bit more problems or there was still issues that were like, not resulting into good outcomes. And so it's like some of the history, like recently, my recent podcast, um, we were talking about cesareans and it was just like the history of cesareans. It was like, no matter how many times they tried to get it right. And even still today, it's still, the outcomes are still not that great, you know? And so it's like, it's just so crazy to read the history like that because it's like, even in these rural areas, when they were doing these cesareans, it was like, those were more successful than like than what they were doing inside the hospital. And you kind of like, that's so like weird and like, just so not the normal to even think like, oh, it was a little bit more, it was more successful outside of these realms than they were inside of these realms. But yeah, no, I believe it. I believe that looking into that history, I mean, I've, I've seen it. It's just like, holy guacamole like this is this is pretty crazy yeah super shady and I you know history tells me personally a lot about the way things are done today like if I have a question about why are we doing things like this the answer is probably like a century or two ago we'll find the answer why and most likely it just got worse after that and sad but true but this is something that this is a topic that's just now being unburied like yeah like maybe half a decade. No, I understand that completely. So why don't you tell us where we can find you? Where are you at? I know that you, I know, I know where you're at, (laughs) but but, you know, I know you provide a lot of great information and just free education. Just kind of tell where people can find you and everything like that. So I have a website. It is Gianna with one N, NataliaV.com. And then Instagram, simply GNB is the handle. Um, I am in, like I said, a little bit north of Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm at actually is considered rural. And it's very interesting looking around at the statistics here. It is not that great, so much like <laughs> the South. Um, but I am making some connections. I'm on the task force for, um, perinatal care, uh, for the state. So that's been exciting to sit in on those meetings. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Perfect. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been truly an honor and I'm sure you and I can sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours. about birth, all things related to pregnancy, everything like that. So thank you again so much. And yeah, we will see you guys in our next episode. Bye. Bye.
Hi again. Thank you so much for listening to this great episode. If you had learned something today, please make sure you leave a review in Apple Podcasts and share with another mom friend. Also, pop on over to our private Facebook group, sign up for our email list, and connect with me on social media, which are all linked in the description of this podcast. I can't wait to see you over there and connect with you. Now go listen to your mom gut, because wisdom will guide you, and chances are it won't let you down. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.